Hi, I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. episode of Lit and Libations. Um, this is Audra. And this is Sadie. Um, and so we're just so happy that you guys are listening. Um, starting Speaking of that, we wanted to kind of start off with a couple PSAs, one of them being just thanking everybody who's reached out and um, given us their feedback and people who have listened and um, let us know that they've listened. It's really appreciated. Um, we're just doing this because it's fun and we like talk about literature, but it's definitely helpful to know that other people like it as well. So thank you so much. Um, And with that, we got some great reviews on um, iTunes and really appreciate everybody who left a review. That's really helpful. For sure. Um, And then Sadie, for our second PSA, do you want to tell everybody what our next book will be so they have time to go pick it up at their local bookstore and start reading? Sure. So the book that I have chosen for Uh, Our discussion in two weeks from now um, is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. I've never read anything by her before, but this is a historical... So yeah, I'm excited to see what it is like. Um, It's a historical fiction novel. It's about Shakespeare's family and specifically the loss of his son Hamnet at a very young age and how that influenced his work potentially yeah so I'm looking forward to it I picked up my copy today so nice I'll get started on that yeah oh man I'm excited um, well and then also want to uh, share what our our cocktails are what your libation is this evening um I actually yes. made a cocktail I decided not to be lazy and just nice. a bottle of wine and and actually made something so I'm kind of made like a watermelon gin fizz Ooh, so that's I've very got- on theme Ah, yes, yes, it is, which if you've read the book, you will understand why that's on theme. I'll bring it up, I'm sure. But yeah, so watermelon juice and gin, a little bit of ginger ale, lime juice, and then um, put a little mint on oh, there, too. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I, it feels, well, it makes me feel like summer. I'm ready for summer. Nice. Um, what I am, are you drinking? I'm drinking a, I don't really know what to call it, uh, a Lilith martini so it's it's like lilit the lilit blanc and then is it lily blanc or lilit blanc uh, i have no idea i was just nodding like, okay sure. all right um and then and then gin and then lemon juice so two to one to one ratio two parts lilit one part gin one part lemon and i think it's pretty good sounds refreshing it is very refreshing is the word. This feels like more of a summer cocktail, but it's kind of starting to feel like spring where I'm at now, and so I'm okay with it. Nice. Yeah, it's been, it was really nice today. Made me think of spring. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now that we've discussed our libations, I definitely am excited to get to get into this book. Um, yeah, do you have a we'll summer for us? Yeah. Um, so My Year Abroad by Chang Rae Lee, it was published by Riverhead Books in 2021, so very recent, um, is the striking tale of a young American man whose life is transformed by an unusual Asian adventure and the human capacities for pleasure, pain, and love. Uh, our, prop- our protagonist is Tiller, a young adult, seemingly average and unmotivated, 
who is caught up in the world of Pong Lu, a Chinese-American entrepreneur who brings Tiller along on a business trip across Asia. Along the way, Tiller encounters new people and experiences that transform his worldview and his view of himself. Chang-Rui Lee is known for his precise prose and stories of the immigrant life, and his narrative alternates between Tiller's adventure and the complex domestic life he lives back in America. It's a darkly humorous novel that opens a plethora of questions and discussions regarding stereotypes, coming of age, mental health, and our ability to survive. So that's excellent. my little summary. Um, so yeah, so I picked the book this time, and I picked it because of the author. I love Chang-Rui Lee. Um, and then I had seen that this one was coming out and just based on what I heard about it, it sounded really interesting to me. Um, what did kind of just off the cuff, like what did, what did you think? What did you think about it so far? Well, yeah, so I have only read, we're just, today we're discussing chapters one through 14 of the book. Yes. And I have only read up to that point and I know that you have finished it. And I have to say that. From just this half of the book, I'm very, very intrigued to see where it goes. This is a weird book, but I... It like, is weird. It's a weird book, but I'm enjoying it, but it's weird. I'm I'm, I'm eager to see where it goes from, from here. What's so funny um, is that when I first started it, I kind of wasn't liking it. And yeah. I wasn't liking it for one reason, and it's because I have this, I don't know, this weird judgment about when a book when it so obviously places itself in a certain time period mm-hmm. like by um so it, it's set in modern time and so there's all sorts of things that point to that you know talking about I don't know I think it mentions TikTok in here at one there point, are a you know, lot like, of cultural references yeah. mm-hmm. yes and I typically don't like that because I feel like I want to be able to have it but I don't know that's a weird way to describe it because so many books are they can't help but reference the time they're in. But this one just seemed almost too much at first. Yeah. But then as I got more into it, it's like, oh, well, look who's narrating it. We have this, you know, young 20-something guy who mm-hmm. just grew up in suburbia. And you think that that's all there is to him at first, which is, I think, one of the, you know, kind of themes of this book is seeing all the layers that there are to people. Kind yeah. of made me think of, like, those Russian nesting dolls. And so you know on the surface he is like that's he is narrating it as some kind of average 21 year old guy probably would narrate it and it definitely serves its purpose and but I I don't know it's the first time in a while I've read a book where I'm like ugh, like I don't know (laughs) I think maybe I made a bad choice here is there is there time to change this but then no love it absolutely love it yeah I so that wasn't my initial criticism although I completely understand it. Actually, I'm just kind of like baffled by how each page is so focused on like food. Like there's food yes. on every page. And like, I know it's on purpose and I know it'll probably like lead to something even larger, but uh, like at some point it almost like made me feel overstuffed with just the language. Like it was just mm. almost too it's much almost like dickens in a way right like yeah. where he would take an entire page to describe an orange like yeah but it's it yeah i mean i think food is a big part in this so so it opens up with our our narrator tiller and all you kind of really know is that he's living in just some random nowhere town 
with a woman named Val who's who's older than him, probably about like 20 or so years, and her son who's around like 12, I think. And you don't quite know why they're living where they're living mm-hmm. or you know that they just met each other kind of randomly and they're living together and you get the idea that she's in witness protection and you don't know if he is or not but he's also content with kind of hiding out and living this existence and um it just talks a, like like sadie said it talks a lot about the food that they're eating and that their son is cooking and it's it's really interesting because it's like well I just want to know the backstory why are they living together what's her story what's his story like why is he now living in this town when why isn't he living at home it's it's definitely like this I want to know more I want to keep diving for it and it Mm -hmm. just kind of teases you along yeah and and I mean even when it's not about like the kid um cooking what is it vincent jr is that his name mm-hmm. Vige mm-hmm. is kind of what he's called vj um i mean like the first part where it shows the flashback where he meets pong for the first time and the whole experience is him just stuffing his face the entire time to the point where he throws up it was i mean honestly just like how descriptive it was about him gorging on all of this food just made me feel like kind of nauseated but (laughs) but in but at the same time it's it's so hard because what he's writing about is disgusting me but the way he writes it is so beautiful this is some of the most beautiful writing I've ever read he's so good yeah he's great I love his writing I love um it's not necessarily lyrical but Mm -hmm. everything just flows really well together Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and especially when he starts talking about Pong, who's this, um, Chinese American businessman that he meets while he's caddying golf for him and a couple other, um, businessmen. And I mean, right off the bat, I just wanted to know more about Pong. Like he, yeah. again, with the whole Russian nesting dolls, there's gotta be more underneath there. What's more like, what's his backstory? What is, yeah. I wanted to have him narrate. Like I just, he, right off the bat, he's a really, really interesting character. Um, he says about him, Pong was the kind of person who naturally understood all such possibilities. And by all, I really mean all from the grand to the trivial. And you really get that right off the bat. He, what Tiller knows about him is that he owns different businesses, one of them Mm -hmm. being a frozen yogurt shop. And he's a chemist by, by education. And so he's obsessed with the idea of making the perfect frozen yogurt flavor that, he makes fun of like what is it called msg or whatever they the food additive that makes you want to come back right he makes fun of that but his idea is to make this frozen yogurt addicting not because the ingredients are actually addicting but like the flavor and the emotion that it creates becomes the addiction and i just think yeah. that was fascinating well and it made me want yogurt <laughs> yeah exactly that's like part <laughs> of the things that some of these paragraphs are disgusting me because it's like a lot of detail about his throw up on the street but at the same time there's a lot of detail about like delicious food that I really want to stuff my face with as well um the pong is maybe it's too early to get into him but I don't know but he's so interesting but also like I just never can quite believe what I'm reading or like hearing about him like I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how much I should really how I should really take it it's interesting I feel like um, Tiller's description of him 
It reminds me almost of like a, a Nick Carraway kind of mm-hmm. perspective with Gatsby in the background where it's this kind of like otherworldly like extra character doing all of these insane things for reasons that we just like can't quite dig into or understand. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm interesting to see where it goes, but I, f- I find myself kind of on the edge of my seat waiting for the other shoe to drop a little bit with his character. Yeah, well, and I think it brings up a good point right away. It's it's the narrator, right? Is he a reliable narrator? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're getting everything from Tiller's perspective, and so it's what he's choosing to recount since this is, once we start talking about Pong, it's it's all his memory. It's his impression. And so how reliable is it? And how reliable is what he's telling us about himself? Like, yeah. I think that's just something to always keep in mind while reading this is, who can we really trust what Tiller is saying? Mm-hmm. Not in a, not in like a malicious way, but just in the way that memory works. Right. And, yeah. and you can tell that when he meets Pong, he's kind of enamored with him. And um, so I think that adds an element to it. Like when you are just in awe of somebody, you kind of put blinders on, right. Especially when you're first meeting them. And so recounting back stories about that person, you may think you're telling everything factually but are you really are you really that reliable of a narrator yeah I mean yeah and he he I think he brings he kind of points to that um at the end of chapter four um he's kind of talking about Pong and how he instantly kind of believed in him um he says you could say it was some cliched Chinese thing about him some patronizing western bullshit about harmony or that it was just my pathetically needful core being when the truth of the matter is that it was an expression of the deeply seated inclination pong had toward all of us in his circle an inclination that was fundamentally charitable charitable not because of morals or for greasing the gears of commerce or for psychic expedience or ease simply put pong was generous because he had a bottomless wonder for our multitudinous human family this perpetual appreciation of how people are and maybe can and will be, which might explain why I, Tiller Bardman, so okay through and through, was accepting being invited along. Normally I'd be skeptical that anyone would be interested in me. I'd focus instead on my mediocrities, all the reasons why I shouldn't be, but for once at last, I didn't. Mm. And I think that's a really honest way for him to point out why he becomes kind of entranced in Pong, because it's that idea of this guy's so amazing and he's interested in me and wants to talk to me about his business ventures and invites me to his home and wants me to travel with him. So there must like, he must see something in me. So it's almost like I'm going to use him to see what that is, is how I took it. Like, so I just think it's interesting. He even brings up, like, I don't really know why I'm doing what I'm doing or what's really happening. Right. Well, and it is kind of weird when you think about it, that Pong would include him on all of these things. I mean, this is a person that he meets, just while he's golfing and then all of a sudden he just kind of offers him all this endless seemingly opportunity um and sees all this like potential it it just I don't know it it almost like seems magical to me (laughs) like it just doesn't seem like this could really happen but at the same time it's told in a way that I trust that it's happened I don't know this is a weird book (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is it's not necessarily that it comes off as unrealistic in the mm-hmm. story. Like, it's mm-hmm. you're able to kind of delve in and believe it. But 
taking it, like if you just told someone, hey, this happened to me, it may not seem believable. Yeah. But I, I think that brings up, like you said, luck. I think that's another big theme in this book is luck and mm-hmm. what that makes it's basically all just about luck and and timing and maybe that has more to do with where people are than skill which is a whole nother discussion and yeah it's not necessarily luck it's it's more like privilege but you know I, I think he brings this idea of luck up throughout the book a lot um and I think that's interesting especially when they spend more time in Asia that gets talked about a lot as well I thought that was another interesting theme because he just happened to be caddy for Pong and he just kind of happened to, you know, he thinks he's mediocre, but he kind of lets out some of his skills. He's very thoughtful. He gives really good, thoughtful feedback to Pong's yogurt flavors and like kind of knows how to be just enough without being too much. And it kind of just lucks into this. It seems like lucks into this profitable relationship not profitable monetarily but profitable and like experience and attention he's obviously looking for some kind of mentor right so yeah I thought it right off the bat it's like kind of just gave me lots of things to think about which took away any sort of misgivings I had regarding um, maybe some of the language in the book yeah for sure I am really yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of on my at the edge of my seat about it, of, like, wondering where this is going to go. And also, what this traumatic event is that he's hints at the entire time. He just puts in a little mm. second, like, sentence or in parentheses even, this hint at this big traumatic event that happens while he's abroad. And it's interesting because I feel like usually when I see something like that in the book, it's more clear, like that he may have done something, you know, or that it's completely him at fault or that he, the character who's telling the story is more capable of, you know, like violence or betrayal than we perhaps realize at that time. But the way that it's kind of being set up here, I don't quite feel like that's the case, but I don't know. You know the answer to that question, but I don't. I do, I do, but I won't spoil it for for you or for anybody. Because I think that's one of the things that I loved about this book as well, is that it does kind of have you always just a little um, unsettled. Like, like you know something obviously happened because he's not in Asia anymore, and he's living, like, almost like he's in Witsec with this older woman and her son, and you know there's something with them. And so there's just always, you know that there's all these unknowables. Yeah. But it's almost, um, he makes it easy, I think, to kind of sit with that. And I think partly is how he tells the story, kind of alternates back and forth between the past and how Tiller met Pong and their progression, and then they're starting to travel together. And he alternates that with his present day living situation, which is just as interesting. And I think that's part of why it's not like you're waiting, you know, I want to skip this part. Let's just find out what happened. I think it's just as interesting. It's just as fascinating. This other experience, adventure he's living of this relationship and like, Mm -hmm. and he's living with someone that she doesn't know all of his backstory and he doesn't know all of hers. Like, can you imagine? I have to know everything about everybody and everything. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine forming some like domestic life with people that I don't know. And they're just so satisfied with it. Like it's, they don't, it's not even it's a non-issue for them they have this silent agreement that they're just not even gonna touch half of that stuff 
Um, yeah. And I think it's about focus, right? Like what are mm-hmm. we going to focus on? Are we focusing on our feelings for each other right now and our life right now and, and what's happening in this time period? Or are we going to just focus on everything that could be or has been? And I think that's a, you know, it can be helpful to look at things that way a lot yeah. of times of, you know, what, what is most beneficial? How do we look at things that it's healthiest? You know, I think, right. like I mentioned the summary, I definitely think it delves into mental health and like, mm-hmm. you know, what our past traumas do to us. And some of us, we, you know, you block it out. If you just choose to avoid it, if you embrace it head on. And I think that's kind of hinted at all throughout the book is how people deal with different past traumas and and how that affects you and your relationships and the and the fear that they have specifically about um Vincent Jr. uh is pretty clear like they talk all the time about how he's kind of like a monster and he doesn't really get along with other kids and everyone is just kind of a thing for him to manipulate in a lot of ways and I mean he seems like an okay enough kid like he's clearly really talented and really smart and um and everything but you can tell that they have concerns due to you know Val's previous relationship history and there's part of I can't remember which part of the book but there's part of the book where um Tiller tells her that like nature isn't everything and they just like watch VJ and they say well you better hope so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think you you find out in this setting that her husband and VJ's father, he was some sort of organized crime yeah. criminal, and she um, turned witness against him, and so she's in witness protection to you know protect herself and and I think it's interesting. Tiller right off the bat, you get um, you really understand how protective he is of her and her son and this relationship. Which is also interesting. He's he's so protective when he really doesn't know that much, and they haven't really been together. A sig- I don't think in a very significant period of time. But mm-hmm. he's very protective of her and her son and and this little family that they formed. Yeah. Um. But you learn he he still has his own dad. You learn his mom. Something happened. She's not around. Um. When he, after he was, I would say, like elementary school age. Mm-hmm. But he still has a dad, and he his dad's a nice guy and was a good dad and they seem to have a decent relationship but he's he's not in the picture tiller doesn't move back home he doesn't talk to him he's yeah. kind of pretends he's in hiding too so there's there's just like what i just want to know yeah just like, it's tell just, me there's so many little interesting <laughs> facets like i love this book it has all these stories within a story yeah and i love that like my favorite i think is chapter nine where oh yeah um, so good so so good and this is why i'm drinking a watermelon cocktail so um tiller gets told that pong and he sees he really seems to not just enjoy watermelon but almost have this like connection with watermelon and so he's told to ask him so when they're on this long first class flight to to asia he asks him you know why what's your thing with watermelon basically and i just love it because he instantly goes back and it's a very it's a good amount of time in the book and pong tells him about his life in china and his parents were um, really talented artists his mother especially and they worked at this art academy and and taught and then you know and it was it was with uh, i think they were teaching during mao's reign mm-hmm. um and he just talks all about kind of 
what happened to them once kind of um, communism and the Red Guards started to take over. And he, he talks about what happened to his parents and they suffered as a result of that. And his dad, his mom died, but his dad stayed alive, but he was in a camp for a long time. And he went and lived, I think, with an aunt and uncle um, in the country. So he went from being the city kid. Um, with it was a very foster ar- family. Oh, was it foster? Okay. Mm-hmm. So he went from being the city kid with, with these very artistic parents and loving parents and then went to this foster family, a bunch of kids, and they worked on like a watermelon farm. And sometimes they would have um, hardly anything to eat, um, but then there'd be the times where the watermelon was ripe and after they'd sold it all, they could have this watermelon and just this was his, I don't know, like connection to beauty yeah kind of how I took it and so then watermelon's just always been this thing for him since then and I just loved that story I did too I loved how that whole chapter was I mean kind of from Pong's perspective it was Tiller's interpretation of the story that right Pong's recounting of Pong's Yeah. yeah but it was you know it's the first time that we really feel like we're getting told something directly from him and the part where he talks about that uh where he says that um, after he like had left the valley, um, it was a sentence of surplus and provision of simu- simultaneous desolation and bounty, which, though egregiously unjust, ended up being a strangely fitting coda to my father's artistic stins. I become more pained and saddened than angry when I think of that time, and much more for my poor mother and father than for myself. They did nothing wrong, nor did I, but at least... For me, there was a quantum of sweetness, which I never wish to forget. And then it's interesting, like that one image, that quantum of sweetness is something that he just like carries through on his business ventures. It's literally on his business card the rest of his life. Yeah. And I love how Tiller connects with that, you know? So Mm -hmm. like I said earlier about he's this narrator and I think the fact that he's narrating says, says just as much, you know, as the story he's telling, but he, he's right after Pong's done telling his story and then it picks up with Tiller narrating again and and he says a quantum of sweetness and um, that he rarely failed to startle me with everything he knew or did but it is the unexpected felicity of his expressions that still haunt me and and it's interesting because he brings up right away you know he throughout you learn earlier has a small percentage of I think Korean because mom um, had some Korean in her and he but he talks quite a bit about how he just looks like just a white kid and well he's like he's a one-eighther yeah one-eighther and but then here's pong who's a chinese american and he's got this history in the story um that just is so unfathomable to tiller and it's like you kind of get an idea tiller i mean he doesn't his mom's not around so there's obviously something but he doesn't really talk about it and instead he kind of gloms onto pong's like story of trauma and his history and and I think really admires um you know his Asian-ness really I think he he feels like all that Pong's gone through um Mm -hmm. there's just he can't ever connect to it because he's just plain boring you know one-eighth Asian tiller and I think it's just an interesting thing to think of you know people who are immigrants and how far removed they are and you know how those are different experiences and how there's different ways to to connect and you know I just think that was he he did but he doesn't beat you over the head with it I think it's just kind of this underlying 
idea of being an immigrant and not being white or being white and how well, much and, you are, how little. Exactly. Like, it's kind of like he's on the fence line, right? Because unless somebody asks him, people can't tell that he has any Asian descent, really. And it kind of brings up to me, like, just a question of, like, what does it even mean to be, like, white? And, like, how much of a how much of like an ancestry do you have to have to be able to claim a culture in any way? Because Tiller clearly really doesn't um, claim a culture or have like a huge amount of like cultural pride. It's not that he's ashamed of it. It's just that it's not really a part of his day-to-day life, but, Mm -hmm. um, but it's still something that if people know it about him, it still affects him, but it, it doesn't affect him every single day. Right, and I think that once, so once they make, once they land in Asia, I'm trying to figure, remember where they land first. I think they go to Shanghai, but, and then they travel all around China. Mm -hmm. Um, But you almost see him start to kind of really look for things to embrace in the culture. Um, You learn that he had taken some Mandarin lessons Mm -hmm. and they and he, they randomly, it kind of starts to come back to him and he's able to understand people and speak a little and kind of impress them. And there's a point where they're at this mall and he, it's like a, it sounds like a stationary kind of shop and there's a big whiteboard or something like that. And he starts drawing um, kind of, I don't want to say cartoon, animated kind of drawings of people that he sees, like tourist groups and making their spirit animals, you know, so drawing someone that's got a a long neck he kind of turns them into like a giraffe or something mm-hmm. but not the best description because he does it more based off of what their personality seems like than their physical attributes but he is making this hit and everyone's having them like him draw them and he draws pong and he just really seems to like shine like here's his yeah. metamorphosis like he leaves his you know suburban town in america and he comes to asia and it's like oh now i'm gonna blossom you know like mm-hmm. now i'm gonna you know, maybe kind of let out these parts of me. And I'm not saying like the Asian part of him or something, but just part of who he really is. Now he's at a place where he can, he can work on that. Yeah. And you see that kind of, at least in the reading that we're discussing today, you see that come to, I think, ahead in the, in the karaoke scene where Mm -hmm. he's so shy and so timid and, you know, doesn't want to do it. Like he's scared to do it. But then once he, gets up there and Pong kind of gives him the encouragement that he needs. Um, He stays up there for a really long time and it's just this event that seems to connect him to where he is in that place with Pong. But it also brings him back to like a lot of memories that he has earlier. Like he, he references memories of his mom a lot in that Mm -hmm. scene and his dad. And it feels like in that moment, at the end of chapter 14, it feels like he's kind of maybe coming into like a more fullness. Like he's he's becoming very full as far as connected to the past, connected to some of the memories that he has, but also like involved in the present, but in a way that's not keeping him stationary. Yeah, that's interesting that you said full because, you know, like we were talking about, there's just so much talk about food. Yeah. And, you know, and eating food and what it tastes like and what it looks like and what food people like. And um, so it's interesting that that's how you described it, because it, it's true. He almost like 
he he's taking everything he's taking food he's taking drink he's he's having all of these interactions whereas before you kind of get the idea that he's not like um painfully shy but kind of more on the shy side a little nerdy doesn't like this Mm -hmm. super outgoing person um but he kind of becomes all of that while he's over here in asia and yeah there's just so much talk about anything tangible you know and and even like yoga and body stretching and how his body feels and what it feels like to be jet lagged and what it feels like to get energy again like it's it's also visceral and I I love how he writes about that I agree but Um, I think it also brings up oh sorry go ahead well I was just it kind of just reminds me of this part um at the very very beginning of the of the book Um, And it's already kind of gotten way into the food imagery. But then it says, at some point, we're all extra hungry, aren't we? If not necessarily for grub. And if not, it's probably because we've too much to fill. Take me. I'm on the other side of feeling I was about to burst, having skipped out on the last semester to hit as many tables and stations and taps of life's grand buffet as I could, which I had no idea could be so available, so glorious and miserable, so heroic and lamentable at once. So, I mean, I, like, you know, at the end of that scene, I feel like we see him full and, like, satisfied and experiencing the present while still thinking about the past. But I feel like that part at the beginning of the book is also hinting towards, you know, a point where maybe it gets out of hand. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and I think it brings back, you know, he obviously is very interested in in all that life has to offer. And he, I think that's why he talks about it all so much. But one of the things that I think brings back to kind of how much truth is in what he's telling us is he says, I can't bear to butcher what should be only beautiful. I can't handle mm-hmm. defiling what ought to be sublime. And he says that when they're in the karaoke mm-hmm. scene. And it's kind of about why he doesn't do karaoke, even though he sings to himself all the time and he loves it. And it's, it's that idea. And so I think it's also interesting now that all these things he's telling us, like how much is he still keeping? Um, Because he doesn't want to defile that. And that's kind of what I'm wondering about Pong. You know, I mean, he doesn't have a negative thing to say about him. Um, And is that because he just doesn't want to defile this beautiful relationship and experience? Or is it factual? Um, And then is he now kind of putting all of this... uh, appreciation of beauty onto other things like food or like his relationship with Val or their life is this like family you know even though he's Mm -hmm. at least 20 years younger than her I mean closer to age in the child than her yeah not that that's a bad thing but just it's not the most common way to form attachments yeah their his relationship with Val is really interesting and Val I really like reading about her, but there's always, I think because it's from Tiller's perspective, there's a part of her that I just, you know, can't feel like I can trust. And maybe that's because Tiller doesn't quite feel like he can trust her either. And, Mm -hmm. but at the, I, you know, you know, the part of the, that, well, our uh, lights are flickering. (laughs) I think the power is going out. Do you have a ghost? I mean, you live in like an old church, right? We do. I thought it's haunted like multiple times, but I think it's just because we're having a massive windstorm right now. 
it's pretty funny yeah i'm sure it actually has nothing to do with haunting and there's definitely a sign i don't know i kind of i kind of want to go i kind of want to go so i'm not gonna lie i mean this is an old catholic church i'm sure a lot of bad shit's happened here but i kind of want to go so i'm not gonna lie anyway um there's like this sorry part for the, the sidebar board. everyone <laughs> <a ghost>. yeah <laughs> there's this part of the the book where val just kind of like disappears for a while you know like they they go out to go bowling and when they come back she's gone and she's gone for like what like 24 hours or something and yeah enough that he gets really nervous although he's kind of already nervous about you kind of get that idea well, that everything similar seems really tenuous to him well it seemed like well first off she says to him that she has no sense of loyalty because she turned in her husband and it wasn't that the FBI approached her she like went to them with the information she wanted to do it and then there's the part before she disappears for a small amount of time that she runs and she's just like looking over the bridge and you get this feeling like she's gonna jump if he hadn't like come up to her and then also, you know, like, mm-hmm. he's not he's not VJ's dad. So, like, the fact that she's leaving just like his mom did and then he's just, like, left with this kid that's not his kid who he still cares about. It's just, yeah, I still don't really, like, trust her even though I do kind of feel like that scene was a letdown because then she's just back in 24 hours. I thought it was way big, like, a much bigger cliffhanger than it turned out being. Yeah, you definitely don't get what you expect out of this book. I mean, I had that mm-hmm. in quite a few instances of I assumed I knew kind of, okay, this is what this is leading up to. This is the general direction. I'm recognizing various plot points and then it, it doesn't go that way, but not in a um, cheesy way. Like, right. it's not like a choose your own adventure story. Like it definitely, it's like, okay, it it's not where I thought it was going, but it makes perfect sense now that it's there, which kind of follows along with his narration of events like none of this is really like nothing happens that he thinks is going to happen but then once it does it's all of course this is exactly what had to happen like this is exactly the next step or and it just Mm -hmm. all seems so effortless and easy which again is is he telling us the truth or is it all just really like that and then that got me thinking about luck again and you know how things just seem to fall into place for some people and yeah it was definitely I thought a lot reading this book it was I very much enjoyed that part of it it was yeah definitely a mental it, exercise it definitely not for yeah. sure it expects a lot out I, I think of its readers um which I'm always down for I like books that make me think like that um and it's interesting too because you know this I Tiller's only supposed to be like 20 years old and I don't know any 20 year old dude who would think about things like this I don't know maybe that's not Mm. being fair to 20 20 year old men but I just feel like the characters are you know it's like you said it things happen the way that they would happen or should happen but at the same time I feel like the characters aren't what I would think who they like I wouldn't think that they think that I think I didn't really look at it like it was um unbelievable I like I think I just took it more like he is that way now because of this experience like I think I I almost took it like okay 
Tiller before this experience probably wouldn't look at things this way. Tiller now, he's obviously had, we've, we've only gotten to hear some of it up to this point, up to chapter 15, but obviously mm-hmm. has had some experience that has maybe now opened up this capacity or made it more um, acceptable to be this way. Because I don't think you're, you just don't have this capacity to be this kind of thoughtful or, you know, think in such depth as he does. But I think that yeah. maybe things have to happen to let you know that that's okay, you know, especially for, for men. Like, it's okay to communicate feelings this way. It's okay to, you know, look at people this way and express fear and affection and love and all these different feelings. I think maybe we don't act like it's as acceptable to talk about it that much if you're a man. Um, and so I think yeah. he's kind of like, who cares how old I am or what my gender is or if I'm yeah. white or Asian or what, like this is all that means nothing. Yeah. And he, well, I mean, he does describe himself as an old 20 year old, you know, cause he, like he gets so much of life within a small period of time. But, yeah, I don't know. There's there's just, like, a level of self-awareness that is surprising out of him. But I feel like a lot of the characters, like, surpass your expectations. I know Pong certainly does. I think mm-hmm. that he, you know, like, if you were to look at just a, a blank, blank description of kind of, like, who he is, where he's from... I feel like you would get a very different impression or make different assumptions about him than the portrait that we get in the book. And I think the same with, um, I think it's the same with Tiller and with, with Val. Val's very different than I would think of somebody who's lived the life that she has. And But I think Pong is the one who surprises me the most in that way. Just with the yeah, things I mean, he says and and then the different ventures that he's in, interested in as well. Yeah, I think so. And and you, you get a little bit of discussion about Pong's family, his wife and his kids, and you meet his father and you meet his father in present time before you hear the story about, um, you know, what his parents went through in China. And mm-hmm. so in present time, his father seems to be, you know, seems to have dementia or, or something. And so that adds another element to it. But I think... It, they, he does a really good job, Chang Ray Lee, of giving these characters layers and then just kind of slowly peeling them away. Um, yeah. And I guess that kind of goes with the food analogy. It's like <laughs> yeah. he's peeling these onions of characters. Um, and like, and I think he just does a really good job of continuing to keep you interested in who they are and wanting to learn more about them as he slowly peels these layers away. Yeah. I think that the food metaphor also and also kind of just like the business ventures side of it there's I think a lot to be said for excess and Mm -hmm. you know excessive experience maybe because like we want to experience everything in life but at the same time the way that Pong talks about it sometimes it's like he's selling it to you and I question kind of for myself anyway, I question the, um, the righteousness of that, I guess. Like not, not to say that it's like wrong or right necessarily. 
if it leads you to an okay place, but it does feel like there's something about um, worldliness that they're talking about here. I think it's that, and I think it brings up the idea of, like, when does it become gluttonous? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what's that line? Um, so I, I, I totally see what you're saying, and I think it really just has everything always teetering on that line of what's too much. Um mm-hmm. Because I think all of a sudden he goes from this kind of boring life to this life of excess and all very quickly. And, and he's cognizant of that. Just like, this is nuts. Like, I was supposed to be on a study abroad right now. And I've lied to my dad. And now I'm traveling yeah. across Asia with some businessman who I just barely met. But I'm already looking at, like, he's, you know, everything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, all, and all these characters he meets along the way through Pong. You know, he instantly forms these attachments to them as well whether it's pongs i think she's obviously some sort of business associate he meets and um there's a couple other characters that are also business people um one is obviously involved in some sort of organized crime in asia as well and he meets someone named lucky Choi, who's i think a really interesting character he's not in here too much but i think he's one of my favorite um side characters and i love what what they say about him says he is a world crushing gambler and investor, but no one needs to tell you not to fully trust anyone named Lucky. To befriend a Lucky means being doomed to ne- to never having good fortune yourself. Second, Lucky thinks because I am a well credentialed professional of significant means, I can and should do whatever I want. His fancy cosmopolitan background has obscured for him the reality that a brown man like me must stay ruthlessly vigilant, prepared and focused. Existence for us in this present civilization is precarious. We can be plucked from any situation at any time and be instantly dashed, which how relevant always. But um, I think it was interesting because you have Pong is giving this kind of soliloquy to Tiller and there's this Pong contrasted with Lucky and, you know, and they're both Asian American businessmen and they approach it all so very differently you know like he describes Lucky and Lucky's this character he meets that they go to a casino and he's gambling all night and gambling huge amounts of money and he's got lots of women and he's also one of that of very much excess and you know kind of flashing his wealth whereas Pong is more under the radar you know equally as successful financially um, probably if not more but just kind of how do they choose to present themselves to the world? How do they present themselves as immigrants? And then even when they're back in China, how do they present themselves? Um, yeah. And I just think the the contrast was interesting, especially how it brings up, you know, just by the fact that, that they're not white, they have to think about this. Yeah. Well, and also I think that's what's interesting about the things that they're selling because – what they're selling to me anyway feels kind of whitewashed <laughs> like in the sense that it's very much like seems to be presented for like white suburbia um i feel like that's the case with you know pong has all of these like chain stores like it felt like logan utah which is like the epitome of white suburbia in the sense that there's a froyo shop and there's like a random you know somewhat inexpensive kind of chain like store where it's hot dogs with like caviar on them and black truffles and that feels very you know that that seems like something that's made for white suburbia but it's not being 
but it's not coming from white businessmen, which is what I think is surprising. But it's also like the juice that they are talking about, like the the tonic that they're trying to sell. You know, this is some like centuries old Indonesian tradition. And the idea is that they're going to like peddle it to the masses. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily for like something bad. Like it seems like their motive is good but at the same time it just seems strange to see them go at it at some kind like a kind of superficial level but with the hopes that maybe it will do more because like it says for the moment we will sell jamu for specific conditions like lack of energy sexual dysfunction poor digestion and so on um there's always an underlying circumstance which is as much rooted in the mind as the body. We must understand this too. I can foresee the development of a system of personalized Jammu, like from a cart on a dirt street, but on a mass scale. Um, and he's hoping that it becomes kind of like a homeopathic remedy for people and that it, it becomes like a, a spiritual tonic as well as a, as a physical one. And I don't know, just like the mass marketing of it all just like feels wrong but it's coming from people that you wouldn't necessarily like expect that kind of mass marketing from. Yeah, I think that's I think bringing up the the drink that they're working on is is a good like segue into kind of what I that kind of brought up for me just like this idea of um you know that comes out throughout the book also is like what's good for people and who markets it and mm-hmm. you know uh, what do you fall for versus what's real? And so just to kind of catch everyone up, they're going to Asia. He, and kind of his reasoning that he gives to Tiller of why he's bringing him is there, he's starting to work on this new venture with kind of this group of other businessmen that he works with and women. And this venture is this, like simplest way to put it is it's kind of like a healthy energy drink, but it's made up of, um, you know, all sorts of different things depending on what your needs are. So if you need more, you know, if you have headaches, you drink this. If you just need more energy, you drink this. But then it gets even, you know, they can make it even more specific to somebody's needs. And that's kind of what they want to sell it as and sell it to, you know, health food stores and yoga stores. And But they're going to start in Asia and have it just be sold everywhere. And they want to bring Tiller along or Pong does because he thinks he or how he, what he tells them is that he has really... Um, he's like a taster almost mm-hmm. like he can just really identify flavors well and speaks well about it and and is someone that w- would do well selling this because of what a genuine interesting person he is is kind of how pong brings in so that's why tiller's on this tour with him and yeah they it's interesting to hear them talk about this drink and kind of how it comes from these ancient like kind of chinese recipes and how it's really has a specific purses purpose excuse me and it's almost this spiritual thing to make these drinks and to give it to people and taking that and turning that into a product that they can mass produce. And it's almost like they talk about it, like they really believe in it, but what's more important that they really believe in it is knowing that it can really make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I didn't get the impression that they're purposely selling crap. Like they really believe in this drink, yeah. but also know that to them, what's more important than their belief in this is that it will be very successful financially 
And obviously that's what Pong is into it for, but you know, he doesn't really talk that way. So you almost kind of get suckered into this idea of like, yeah, he's incredibly wealthy and Mm -hmm. makes all this money, but he really deserves it. Like, look what a good person he is. Like he almost kind of take, he really, I think he's just such an interesting character because with some of the others, like Lucky, you kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's your typical you know, slimy kind of guy who just wants to make a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. But Pong's not like that. So there's got to be something real here. It just always seems like there's there's that little hope of he's different. There's something real. And it, it just yeah, keeps going throughout the book. Because he really, like, tries to make you believe that, yeah, he's going to, like, market it a, a certain way. And he's going to mass produce it. And it's going to be really successful. But ultimately, like, he just wants people to to get the benefits of it. It's it's Same more it's like he's being altruistic earlier yeah he's like a Gatsby like you brought that up earlier in that same kind of idea of like he's you know yeah on the surface these things aren't great um but there's got to be something more there like mm-hmm. you can just it just gives you this feeling for me at least of this character that there's just something going on there that's not your typical which obviously Tiller thinks so too because he's kind of just putting everything on pause not that he had much to begin with and starting this new life with this guy yeah yeah I again I'm just anxiously waiting for the other shoe to drop <laughs> yeah so they make it to Asia and the the last kind of part of of chapter 14 is they're singing in a karaoke bar and and that's where you learn about kind of Tiller's other new talent of apparently he's just an amazing singer and um and I think this was a really good spot to to stop and where we're going to stop our discussion because mm-hmm. um it's kind of like he's he's on this trip and he's kind of been I feel like gathering steam so to speak of experience and this worship he has of Pong and this adventure and now he's kind of starting to do something with it right so here he showcases this ability that he didn't really acknowledge that he had to be this amazing singer not just in quality of voice but it goes on for a while about how he really feels the songs and it's because they're songs that he grew up with his mother listening to and mm-hmm. has that connection. And it's almost like he's finally feeling all those feelings. And then that goes into his singing. I mean, that's how I took it because it's what great singers and artists are. Is it's all that stuff inside them that they put out there, not just the um, technical aspects of what they do. But I just think it's a good spot to, to stop because he's really, he's kind of unleashing all that now. And then we'll good things come of that yeah (laughs) or will not good things it seems to be foreshadowing not good things because he's living in this town kind of hiding out so something happened and I would really like to know what especially because he (laughs) talks a lot about how he has like this black ATM card that seems to have a never-ending supply of money which that'd be nice yeah Um, sounds great using that (laughs) living in his current witness protection life yeah so I want to know what's going on with that for sure. I mean, I do know, but as a reader, <laughs> I wanted to know at this point. Sadie, you, you still don't know. No, I don't know. Um, I have one question for you mm. to wrap up the mm-hmm. discussion. Um, what's your karaoke song? I've never done karaoke. But what would you do? Oh, that's such a hard question because <laughs> I think it would just depend on level of intoxication. Uh-huh. And crowd. I know I'm not giving you an answer, which you really want, but it just, it would just have to depend okay, on. Let me give you a so scenario. Okay. All S- right. Scenario. It's a private karaoke room, closest friends and families, like people who you're super comfortable with. You're three drinks in. What song do you pick? 
okay three drinks um and and it's with people it's not with strangers not with strangers um okay i would probably do oh oh what's that wilson phillips song hold, hold on. on i would i would probably <laughs> do but because i would make at least two friends get up there and do it with me and then yes. i'd be more comfortable doing it 100 so probably probably hold on that's okay a well solid you, answer. you have to return return the favor okay so if it's that scenario and i'm only three drinks in i'm going only? <laughs> <laughs> i'm going mary jane alanis morissette if, wow like dark oh yeah like yes you're, you're gonna really bring the mood down <laughs> in that room <laughs> yeah <laughs> if uh if i'm uh like four drinks in and oh, on my okay. period that I'm gonna go without you, the Mariah Carey rendition. Oh my god, I'm never gonna karaoke with you. <laughs> <laughs> like you are just gonna. It's not like a party. You want to like bring people up. Yeah, I I'm a downer. What can I say? <laughs> well, that's a good question. And if anyone is listening and you want to message us what your karaoke song would be, I am very interested now we, to hear what people's karaoke we songs. We should so please. put a question on our Instagram for people to answer. Okay. And we'll answer it that. for the next episode that we record. Okay. You do that. I'm old and don't know how to do such fancy okay. things. Okay. So Sadie <laughs> will put that up. I still don't understand TikTok. I've been trying to figure it out for weeks now. Oh, I'm, I know all about the TikToks. I'll put one on there too. Is it the TikTok? Uh, no, I think that's just how the kids are saying it now. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, I think it's time to end. So <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. We will talk at you next week uh, when we wrap up um, uh, My Year Abroad by Chang Ray Lee. Um, and then again, the next book that we're going to be reading and discussing is Hamnet by, sorry, what's the author again, Sadie? Maggie O'Farrell. Maggie O'Farrell. So if you haven't, please go pick it up. Um, from your local bookstore and um, definitely encourage you to read any of the books that we've talked about so far as well. Mm -hmm. They're really, I think, very different um, and both excellent and enjoyable. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. And also thanks again to Kendrick Zane for doing our editing and our intro and outro music. If you haven't, please go check him out on YouTube. Um, just search for Kendrick Zane. He's an amazing musician. So thanks, everybody. Sadie, any last words? Uh, I don't think so. Just don't forget if you have the time, um, to leave us a review on Apple podcasts. Yes. Perfect. Thanks. All right. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Sadie.